Hello and welcome to this episode of The Road to Net Zero, a podcast from the Advanced Propulsion Centre. My name is Clem Silverman and today we're talking about batteries and battery value chains from the latest APC Insights piece. And I'm joined today by one of our technology trends experts who can explain more about this report. Hello Chris, who are you and what do you do? Hi, yeah, I'm Chris Jones. I'm Strategic Trends Manager at the Advanced Propulsion Centre. So I, I work in our technology trends team where we produced a number of insights and foresights. We produced a quarterly demand report which looks at battery chemistry trends and the materials required for both batteries and motors for the automotive industry. And we also look after the Automotive Council roadmaps. Within my role, I tend to focus on supply chains and, um, and materials as I have a background in materials science. So we have this battery value chain report, which has been uh, already released by the APC. Um, just as a very quick introduction, what's this report all about? And what's the one key highlight for you? So we, we published a battery value chain uh, a few years ago now, where we were looking at the, the value for batteries in the, in the UK. And we focused on a single chemistry at the time, which was nickel-rich lithium-ion batteries. The world has been changing very rapidly when it comes to battery chemistries. So we wanted to, to look at that again, have a look at what chemistries are around and say, how does that change the value within batteries? And then ask ourselves from a UK point of view, which battery chemistries do we need to focus on? Okay. Um, do we need to explain to people these different battery chemistries to which you refer. So in the report, you have three main chemistries. Um, what are they and what are the main differences between them? Yeah, so it's a really complicated landscape, actually. So we, we tend to talk about lithium ion batteries, but lithium ion batteries are actually split into a whole range of chemistries. And, and in this report, we only focus on two that are most relevant for the automotive industry. And that's what we tend to call nickel-rich chemistries. So it's called NMC. It contains nickel, manganese, and cobalt on the cathode, along with the lithium, obviously. And then we've got LFP, which LFP actually has the lithium in the name. So that's lithium ion phosphate. Um, now, we've also looked at sodium ion in this report. So we've got lithium ion batteries, family of chemistries, and sodium ion batteries, which are also a family of chemistries. So within the sodium ion part, we decided to focus on two chemistries. One, which is the, the polyatomic chemistry, which is quite promising for automotive applications. And one, which is Prussian blue, which is one of the cheaper uh, sodium ion chemistries, which is very good for stationary storage and may see some application in the automotive industry globally. We've heard a lot about the critical minerals crunch, um, the search for the materials which go into batteries um, and to get this straight away off the table <laughs> or on the table even um, does using one chemistry over another help mitigate some of those supply chains so th this is something that we look at in the report and it's not such a simple answer as to say yes if you go for sodium ion you completely eradicate critical minerals but to, to try and summarize it Nickel-rich chemistries, the more nickel you add, the less cobalt you put in. So 
Cobalt has well-documented issues in the supply chain, but nickel is still a critical material. If you go to the LFP batteries, then you get rid of the nickel and the cobalt, but you need to use a little bit more lithium. And of course, it's well publicized that there could well be lithium shortages. So those lithium shortages um, you know, ask you to then perhaps look at sodium ion as well as an alternative. But even the sodium ion batteries use some critical materials. In general, a bit less than the, the lithium batteries do, but there's still a critical material supply chain required regardless of which chemistry you go for. Okay, so in choosing which chemistry people go for, there are different applications, there are different benefits in terms of power output, uh, but also cost as well. Um, so what are we looking at? What's the landscape looking like, like generally? And what decisions are being made now for automotive um, that will see us through to the next next few years, but then also you know f up to maybe 10 years time where we will see development in technology, um, you know, we have fast charging batteries, we have long lasting batteries, we have batteries which can do huge ranges, we have those which have some of the less less of the critical materials required. So there's a lot of choices people are making. Um, where are we right now? And what are the decision processes being put in place by automotive manufacturers? So as we've got in the in the report, we've got this sort of map of the vehicles that we tend to build in the UK. And each one, each area has its own requirements for energy density. So we have lots of luxury and high performance manufacturing in the UK. And that requires the high energy nickel rich chemistries. But also you can see on the map that as we go from LFP to LFMP, which is adding manganese, that can service almost all, if not all, of the high volume manufacturing and even potentially some of those luxury vehicles and SUVs. So there's a really big role that could be played by LFMP in the UK. Sodium ion is really well suited to energy storage, where what you're looking for is being able to charge and discharge many times and have a very long life. You don't necessarily mind so much about the ultimate storage because you can use some more space. But for vehicles, you're trying to cram as much energy into as small of a space as you can so sodium ion, although it can cover the micromobility and could even sneak into some of the high volume manufacturing, it's less well suited to the kind of vehicles we manufacture in yeah. the UK. Does that mean right now, as the chemistry and the technology is right now, is there a point in the future where you might get sodium ion batteries which are able to perform as well as the current lithium products? Yeah, so this report, we're looking at the next decade. Yeah. We're saying, what do we do now? What do we need to invest in now? We're starting to build these gigafactories. What chemistry should our gigafactories be making in the next 10 years? And what supply chains do we need to build to service those gigafactories? So sodium, sodium ion for the UK right now, as it is, is unlikely to be used. But that doesn't mean in 10, 15, 20 years, it won't be. If we look back a few years, we wouldn't have been talking about LFP for high volume manufacturing. And now we are with just the addition of manganese. So it just shows you how these chemistries evolve and evolve so quickly over the past decade or so. And at the other end of the scale, the sort of high performance supercars, you know, things actually we do quite well in the UK. Um, what's that segment looking like? And then in the report, you have 
overlap with flight. So there are other applications in different sectors as well. Um, so what does the demand look like from that end and um, how much investment is currently being go going into those sectors? Well, demand from flight is an interesting one because it obviously requires very, very high energy density. And so the NMC is the only chemistry that's going to get there and you're probably looking at moving towards solid state. But the automotive industry is absolutely the bulk of demand. So although aeroplanes would need enormous batteries, you don't make many aeroplanes. There's only a few thousand in service at any one time. So the reality is that the demand from the aero industry is maybe five to 10 gigawatt hours compared to the 100 or so gigawatt hours of the automotive industry in the UK. So with the automotive industry brings scale. Automotive industry brings scale, yeah. And at that high end, it's, it's starting to cross over in terms, of, in terms of requirements and also at the low end, crossing over in terms of requirements with stationary storage, which is, again is a similar scale of 10% of demand. Okay, so that covers you know, broadly the different chemistries and what applications we might be looking at. Um, one of the big questions is, is around um, upcoming regulations, so particularly EU regulation. What of those regulations is impacting decision-making by EV manufacturers now in regard to their choice of battery chemistry? Um, and I guess in particular, how does perhaps the recycling or um, uh, rule of origin um, yeah, influence those decisions and those conversations? So one of, the, one of the issues for a manufacturer is cost. But cost is not just the purchase price, price of a battery. It is also how much can I get for that battery at the end of life. Now, that comes down to can I sell it for a second use? Can I recycle the material? And what critical materials can I get back out of that battery? So there's two kind of interesting things here. Rules of origin, not just for Europe, but actually this has had an influence on, on battery chemistries in the US as well. So the US trying to use materials that they can get hold of is potentially pushing manufacturers towards LFP there because they can get hold of those materials um, easier from, from uh, internally and the countries that they have trade deals with, as opposed to um, the um, nickel and the cobalt. So, so that has that interesting effect mm. there. In Europe, we have rules of origin, which could have similar effects in terms of what materials are easier for us to get hold of and qualify with rules of origin. But the bigger one is around recycling. Okay. So the EU recycling regulation says that there is a minimum content that needs minimum recycled content that needs to be included in each battery of nickel, manganese, cobalt, and lithium. So in order to meet that, you have to recycle batteries. The interesting thing is that perhaps pushes you with certain chemistries to recycle it rather than resell it because you need that material to put back in your battery. Mm. That's something we might see with NMC. You probably can't get as much money for an NMC battery for stationary storage as you can for an LFP or a sodium ion battery. They're just more so suited in terms of their lifetime and how many times you can charge and discharge compared to NMC. Um, and an NMC with the, with the nickel and the cobalt has those high value materials so you can actually make some money from recycling whereas lfp 
there isn't really a way to economically recycle that at the moment. And obviously sodium ion, we don't have it on the market to even try recycling, but sodium is even cheaper than lithium. So it's very difficult to see how you could economically recycle a sodium ion battery. This might be a silly question. What percentage of a battery is recycled or worth recycling currently? Well, the, the targets at the moment are to recycle 65% of the battery. Now that includes things like the casing, the, the plastics, yeah. everything else. That target increases as time goes on with the EU battery directive. So eventually you get to a point where you need to recycle, I think it's 95% of the battery. And then there are certain efficiency requirements for the critical minerals within them. So that gives you an idea of how much will actually be recycled. With some of them, it's probably technically possible to be more efficient than the efficiency targets. Um, so I've seen papers on lithium recycling that show 95% efficiency of lithium recycling. The target is 80%. Now, admittedly, those are academic papers, but still, it looks like the, the future could be more efficient than the, the targets actually are. So we should get to a point where we are recycling most of the battery and recovering most of those critical materials. Now, things like the plastics and electrolytes, they're a lot harder to recover, so there will be some loss. And in terms of the um, overall battery supply chain, then, in the UK, um, recycled elements will start to play a role as we get more recycled batteries back on to the um, second-hand market. Um, where are the key areas that we, as the UK, need to be investing to be able to supply our gigafactories meet, and meet that demand? Um, so things like cathode-active material manufacturing and things like that. Where are we at now? What are we looking to, to do, say, in the next five, ten years? Well, this is kind of the point. So we have investment in gigafactories happening in the UK, which is really positive, but we currently don't have uh, cathode manufacturing, cathode active material manufacturing in the UK, or anode active material in the UK. Now there are, there are some good downstream project, pro projects happening. So we've got projects like geothermal, green lithium, Cornish lithium, British lithium. There's lots of projects looking at um, getting material, processing material, but there's a little gap in the middle there from having the material to having a active material ready to go for a gigafactory. So we need to close those gaps and build out that supply chain to support those gigafactories that will be coming online. Some manufacturers are starting to integrate the cells into the chassis of the vehicle itself. Why are they doing this and what's the benefit of doing that? Yeah, so the major ben benefit is energy density. So as I've said a few times, you're looking to pack as much energy in as you can yeah. because that ultimately gives you vehicle range. And this is a selling point, right? So in electric vehicles at the moment, the major selling points are how far can your vehicle go and how fast can it charge. So how fast can it charge is to do with battery chemistry and the battery management system as a whole. And how far can it go is how much energy can I pack in. So rather than going cell to module to pack, which is where I take lots of little cells, put them in a module, and then I put several modules in a pack, we're going cell to pack yeah. or even cell to chassis. And that essentially means I'm throwing away that metal and plastic that I would have been using for a module. So I'm throwing away 40% of the weight straight away. 
So that's 40% weight gone, right? And that means a more efficient vehicle. So I can pack more in, I've got rid of some weight, I've got rid of part count, and part count is ultimately cost. Mm -hmm. So it's win, win, win in terms of the vehicle design. God, there's a massive but coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the big but is that having done that, and it, you may well have glued these cells in, depending on the cell design. But either way, having done that, you're potentially creating issues later in the life of the vehicle. So one is in repair. So if I've got a cell to chassis system, what happens in an accident? It's now not as simple as just knocking out a dent. There's potentially an entire cell that needs to be replaced or more. So how does that get repaired? Who repairs it? What's the cost? What impact does that now have on insurance premiums? The other thing is recycling. With a, a, a battery pack, the recycler takes the battery pack out and then they remove the modules or the cells. And that is not necessarily easy, <laughs> even now, mm. but it gets even harder the more and more those cells are integrated into the chassis because they've got to get the cells out and shred the cells on their own. They don't want to shred the modules, the packs necessarily. So how do they disintegrate that when yeah. it's been so heavily integrated? Um, is this being looked at now? Who's do, do we know of any projects that the APC or in the other sort of funding ecosystems that are working on these, uh, these issues and uh, coming up with solutions? Yeah, so the APC uh, has been funding the Rekavas project. Um, and this is looking at both recycling of batteries and, and how to make recommendations to people designing batteries as well. And also within that, there's a company called Autocraft, and they're looking at the repair of batteries. So they're looking at exactly this issue of how do we know which cells need repairing or replacing, and, and how can we do that? And then um, the Faraday Institution are funding a project called Relib. And Relib is also a recycling project. It's looking at future recycling methods and the automation of taking these batteries and these vehicles apart. Because ultimately, that's one of the most costly parts of recycling, taking the batteries apart, dealing with all the different designs that there are. And the more you can automate, the more you can bring that cost down. Generally, what's the feeling from the industry and from government about where the direction we should be heading? So the main thing we need to be doing right now is securing supply of materials for both NMC and LFP chemistries. That's what we need now for the industry in the UK. We need to secure the materials and build those supply chains. Looking further ahead to the future, we need to continue investing in R&D in other chemistries, including sodium ion. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you very, very much. Um, just want to finally ask you what your main takeaway is from this report. So I think we, we wanted to try and simplify quite a complex landscape of battery chemistries. And I hope that what we've done is, is, is taken that and shown that where we are right now in the UK, we need to focus on building those supply chains for nickel-rich chemistries and for LFP. So that's my main takeaway is right now we need to be working across R&D, manufacturing and industrialisation of those supply chains. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And what are the next things you're working on? What can we expect from the technology trends team at the APC? 
So in the next few months, we'll have our next quarterly demand report out. We'll have a piece on digitalization where we're looking at the impact of digitalization and digital tools on the automotive industry. And we'll be looking at supply chain opportunities for heavy goods vehicles. We're also working on updating the roadmaps right now. So if you're interested in getting involved, please do get in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Road to Net Zero. Please visit our website to download the report and make sure you subscribe to hear more about our latest insights and projects.